Please turn with me now in your Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3. Romans 3. Starting verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to those that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be brought under the judgment of God. Because by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Nobody, no flesh, no human being, no Jew or Gentile can ever be right with God through keeping the Ten Commandments. You can't do it because we're all sinners. But now, apart from the law, God's righteousness stands manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all that believe, because there's no distinction. Now, in redemptive history, God has demonstrated the way, he's manifested openly the way that sinners can get right with God. Through Jesus Christ and his work, what he's accomplished in history, received by means of faith. Because it is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all them that believe because there's no distinction. There's no distinction between people of any ethnicity anywhere. It's not there's one way to get right with God for Jews and another for Gentiles because all Jew and Gentile alike have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all Jew and Gentile alike are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. There's no other way to get right with God except through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, through his redeeming, atoning work, that he accomplished in his life and that is applied and received by means of faith to everyone who believes, whether Gentile or Jewish. Verse 28 then says, We reckon therefore, or for we reckon, that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God of the Jews only? Isn't he the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. If so be that God is one and he will justify the circumcision that is Jewish by faith and the uncircumcision, the Gentile, through faith. Faith in Christ is the one and the same way that both Gentiles and Jews 
get right with God. Then chapter 4 says in verse 2, because if Abraham were justified by works, he has something to glory about, but not toward God. But what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. Now to him that works, the reward is not reckoned as of grace, but as of debt. But to him that does not work, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly. His faith is reckoned unto righteousness, even as David too pronounces blessing on the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not or will not reckon sin. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And possibly you can tell from the scripture that I have read and from the way I've been emphasizing words, what I plan to speak about this morning. What would be your guess? A very good guess. Justification. And as we consider that this morning, let's pray about this matter and pray for God's blessing as we consider justification what's been called justification by faith, but I want to talk specifically and, and, and feature this morning God's method, which is Christ alone, grace alone, and faith alone. Now let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful reality of justification on the ground of Christ alone because of grace alone by means of faith alone. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for this wonderful truth. Thank you for the hope it gives us. Thank you, dear God, that you were willing to do what needed to be done and to pay the price, the awful price that needed to be paid in order to accomplish this. And we pray as we consider it again this morning, not the first time, but as we consider it again, even as you want us to remember that Jesus died regularly as we consider it again. Send the Holy Spirit to us. Make it to be a profit and a benefit to every one of our hearts and that we would give all the honor and praise and glory to you and to you alone. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now this is an outline that I've used before. And I'm not embarrassed about it. Maybe I should be. And even though this message has some of the same headings as previous messages, if you learn nothing else from that, you learn that the doctrine of justification hasn't changed over the last 40 years of my life. And I've been 
still teaching and preaching it and never intend to change it. Now, that doesn't mean that I need to use the same headings all the time, but I'm using them this morning. And the first thing I want to talk about is the meaning of justification. The second thing I want to talk about is from the passages we read is the mystery of justification. And the third thing is the method. And I'm going to be brief with the first two, not only because we had communion this morning, it's late, but also because I want to focus on the method more than on the meaning and the mystery. The meaning and the mystery is the foundation for the method. So let's look at the meaning. What does it mean to be justified? What does it mean that God justifies us? What does it mean that we are justified by God? Now, justification brings us into God's courtroom. It is a verdict and a sentence of vindication. In the passage that we read this morning in Luke, it was translated in the modern English, but the publicans and sinners, or, or the wisdom of God is vindicated. It's the same word, justified. The wisdom of God is vindicated by all of her children. Or the publicans and sinners vindicated or justified God. Now, they didn't make God a better God. They didn't do anything to change God morally. But they made an assessment, an evaluation, a judgment. They reached a verdict about God. So justification takes place in the courtroom. And in the courtroom, it is the opposite of condemnation. So condemnation is a verdict of guilt and a sentence of death. Justification is a verdict of vindication with the outcome of life. So, in Deuteronomy 25.1, this concept is made very clear. It says, if there's a controversy between men and they come to judgment, then the judges judge them and they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. So when judges get in a courtroom and there's a controversy, well, how are they supposed to judge? What type of verdict are they supposed to reach and declare they are supposed to justify the innocent person, the person who's in the right. And they are to condemn, that is, they are to reach a verdict of guilty with regard to the wicked person, the one who's in the wrong. So the one who's in the right is to be justified, vindicated. A verdict of vindication is to be pronounced with regard to the one who's in the right. And a verdict of guilt and a sentence pronounced with re uh, of some kind of punishment with regard to the one who's in the wrong. The judges are to justify the one who's right and condemn the one who's wrong. That's what justice looks like in a courtroom. The innocent person vindicated, the guilty person convicted. You agree with that? Is that what justice looks like? Okay. 
How about Proverbs 17.15? That being the case, Proverbs 17.15 says, He that justifies the wicked and he that condemns the righteous, both of them alike, are an abomination to the Lord, to Jehovah. He that justifies the wicked. He that condemns the righteous. See again, the opposite, justification, condemnation, the verdict. So here's the person, and the person's guilty. And the judge reaches a verdict. Innocent, out you go. That's a corruption, that's a perversion of justice. That's an abomination to the Lord. The guilty person goes free. Or here's an innocent person gets convicted and sentenced to death. That's an abomination to the Lord. So if we pronounce judgment and the, we say the innocent man is guilty and the guilty man is innocent, that's a perversion of justice. That's an abomination to the Lord. Justification doesn't involve changing the heart. It doesn't involve turning wicked people into good people, if that were the case. If it means he that justifies the wicked. Well, if justify means take out a bad heart and put in a good heart. So he that takes out the bad heart of a wicked person and puts a good heart in them is an abomination to the Lord. That doesn't make sense. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean whoever makes a wicked person a better person is an abomination to the Lord. Justifying people is not making them better people. It's not changing them morally at all. Justifying them is pronouncing a verdict about them. It's reaching a decision, a verdict. And you either have a verdict of vindication and innocence or a verdict of guilt. And it takes place in a courtroom. So that's the idea. That's the meaning of justification. Does that make sense? You see that in those texts? So this is talking about God's courtroom. Now look at the mystery. That being the case, what in the world is going on in God's courtroom? Look at the mystery. To him, Romans 4, 5, that doesn't work, but believes in him that justifies the ungodly. What? What was that? What just happened in God's courtroom? The ungodly got vindicated. Well, I thought that was an abomination to the Lord. How do you vindicate the ungodly and still be a godly judge? Well, earthly judges can't do it. And that's the whole mystery. That is the foundation of the gospel. That he might himself be righteous and the justifier of him that has faith in Jesus. He justifies hell-deserving, ungodly sinners. He vindicates them. He pronounces them innocent and righteous. 
How can he do that and still be a good God, a holy God, a righteous God, a just God? How can he be a just God and justify, vindicate, pronounce innocent, ungodly sinners? There's the mystery of justification. So when you look at the meaning and the mystery, it sets a foundation for saying, what in the world is the method by which a righteous, just, and holy God justifies ungodly sinners? How does that happen? How do sinners get right with God? And how does God the judge, by what method does God the judge himself remain righteous and just and holy and good and vindicate people who deserve to go to hell. How can he do that? Without sacrificing, violating, overthrowing his own integrity as a judge. If a human being did that, as we've seen, he would find out to be an abomination. So how can he do that? And it's not an abomination. Okay? You follow me? Now, let's look at the answer. The answer is an amazing answer. It's a wonderful answer. It's the foundation of our religion. It's the reason I say over and over again, Christianity is not for good people that never did anything wrong. Christianity is for bad people who never did anything right. It's for people that deserve to go to hell, people like me. You say, why do you never get sick of saying this? Because I'm a wretched, hell-deserving sinner saved by grace. I don't know any other religion. It's the only religion that would ever be any good for a wretch like me. And you, although you may not want to face it, you have to say this even in New York with a smile. It's the only religion that would only do any good for a wretch like you. There's the truth of it. There's no other way except God's way. Because by the works of the law will no flesh be justified in his sight. Because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. All the Ten Commandments ever going to teach you is how much you deserve to go to hell. That's it. It's what you're going to learn. That's what it's there for. It's there to teach people in the state of sin that they deserve to go to hell. Whether they're Jewish raised with a good religious upbringing or Gentile, raised in pure paganism, doesn't matter. Whether you're raised good or raised bad, all of us have this in common because we're all descended from Adam and all fallen in Adam, that we all deserve to go to hell. And the only thing the Ten Commandments can teach us in the state of sin is how much we deserve to go to hell. For through the law, through the Ten Commandments, comes the knowledge of sin. That's all it teaches you, is that you cannot, by being a good person, get yourself right with God. Nobody can. No flesh will be justified, vindicated, declared righteous, declared innocent in his sight by the works of the law. So if that's not his method, what in the world is his method? Well, it's been summarized over the ages 
for probably over the last 500 years with, with these simple words. Christ alone. Grace alone. Faith alone. And I can't improve on that. God's method is Christ alone. God's method is grace alone. God's method is faith alone. Not Christ plus human merit. Not grace plus human works. Not faith plus human effort. But Christ alone. Grace alone. Faith alone. That's what these passages and many other parallel passages in the Bible teach. There is no other way but Christ. He is the ground, the foundation, the basis, the virtue. That is the ground on which God vindicates sinners who deserve to go to hell. Grace is the cause. It is because God is gracious that he freely gives the gift of righteousness, the gift of virtue to sinners. And faith is the means and the occasion that God chooses and decides is the instrument that he uses to get sinners right with himself. Christ alone the ground. Grace alone the cause. Faith alone the means and the occasion. So, let's take a look at that for a minute. Christ alone the ground. Observe this. In verse 24 of chapter 3, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth a propitiation. That is, the pacifier of his wrath, his righteous wrath, through faith in his blood. What did he do that for? To show his integrity, his righteousness, because of the passing over of the sins done aforetime in the forbearance of God, the sins of Abraham and David and all the Old Testament saints who were in heaven at the time Paul wrote this. For the showing, I say, of his integrity as a judge at this present season, that he might himself be just, Righteous, good, holy, do what's right, and justify the justifier, the vindicator of him that has faith in Jesus. It is the atoning work of Christ that explains the mystery how God can be a just and holy and righteous God, and at the same time vindicate the sinner who has faith in Jesus. 
How can that be? It's only because his atonement makes propitiation. His atonement pacifies his wrath. His atonement satisfies his justice. And this is something he never wants us to forget. He never wants us to forget what he did in his life and in his death. How in his life and death he made provision for everything that any sinner needs to be right with God. So that God can be and is a righteous judge. And at the same time, the one who vindicates the sinner who believes in Jesus. It's because of what Jesus did. It's because of what he accomplished. He made him to be sin for us. He pictures this reality in the Old Testament, in the Day of Atonement with the goats. He made him to be sin for us. That is, he transferred to him all the liability, all of the guilt, all of the exposure to punishment and wrath that every sinner who believes in him deserves. So what all the things we did as hell-deserving sinners, all the liability of it to suffer the wrath of God, all of that liability is transferred to Christ. It becomes his guilt. It becomes his liability. And then, because God is just, with all the weight of all that liability imputed to Christ, transferred to Christ, he poured out on him, he inflicted on him the punishment due to that sin in the shedding of his blood he pacifies the wrath of God it pleased the Lord to bruise him he has put him to grief the chastisement of our peace is upon him the punishment we deserve the punishment that justice required to be inflicted on us is inflicted on him because our guilt became his guilt. He took it upon himself. He carried our sins to the cross. And on the cross, God punished him and inflicted on him everything justice requires until it's completely satisfied. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. And his wrath pacified. His righteous wrath stilled, quieted, pacified. His integrity as a judge maintained. Because the punishment due to the guilty is inflicted on Christ. And he makes atonement for sin. God did that in order to be just, to have integrity, and at the same time vindicate hell-deserving sinners who believe in Jesus. That's the foundation of our religion. No other foundation of true religion except the atoning work of Jesus Christ. 
That's why God wants us never, ever, ever to forget it. That's why we have the Lord's Supper regularly to remind us that we're hell-deserving sinners and that Jesus took the punishment due to us. He endured the hell we deserve, the wrath we deserve. But there's a lot of mysteries even associated with the atonement. How can he endure in a day the wrath that it will take us forever to endure if we go to hell and experience the punishment ourselves? In a short note, the answer is because he's God. He's the supreme being. And he completely and totally and fully and successfully and acceptably to God atoned for the sins of his people. That's the ground. Christ alone. It's also because of grace alone. Now to him that works, we read, the reward is not reckoned as of grace, but as of debt. But to him that doesn't work, but believes in him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned for righteousness, being justified gratuitously by his grace. And what do you call it? For God to send his own son to endure his wrath and satisfy his justice for the people that deserve to go to hell. What do you call that? Love? What kind of love? Undeserved love. Unmerited love. Unearned love. Favor that we don't deserve. And what do you call unmerited unearned favor and love. You call it grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's all of grace. I didn't merit half of it. I didn't merit a tenth of it. I didn't merit a millionth of it. I didn't merit any of it. You didn't merit any of it. It's all of grace. It's all a divine gift that we don't deserve. In fact, what we deserve is exactly the opposite. It's all of grace from beginning to end that he would give to us the virtue and the benefit of Jesus. And that even as he imputed to Jesus 2,000 years ago all the guilt of all the sin that all believers did. Even so, when we believe, he gives to us, he imputes to us as a gift all the virtue of all the work that Jesus accomplished. And that's a gift of grace, a gift of virtue the virtue of his perfect obedience, the virtue of his atoning death, all the virtue in the eyes of God that come from the perfect work of Jesus, all of it, he gives to us as a free gift. He imputes it to our record. 
like he imputed our guilt to Jesus, so he imputes his virtue to us. And when he does that, he vindicates us, declares us to be right. Grace alone. The gift of grace alone. It's all of grace. It's all of Christ, Christ alone. It's all of grace, grace alone. Finally, it's all of faith, faith alone. Therefore, being justified by means of faith. Notice in Romans 3, 22, it's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ unto all them that believe, for there's no distinction. And again, he justifies the Gentiles and the Jews the same way, by means of faith. Faith alone is the occasion and the criterion and the means. It's through faith in Jesus Christ unto all them that believe. To whom does God give freely the gift of Christ and his virtue? To whom? To those who believe. When does he give it? He gives it when we believe. We're not justified before the foundation of the world. We're not justified when Jesus dies. We're justified when we believe. And what is God looking for? He looks down upon the entire human race. And he looks for one thing. He doesn't look for ethnicity. and He doesn't look to see, well, if you're Jewish, then I'll justify you. If you're Gentile, I won't. No, it doesn't work that way. He doesn't look for religiosity. If you're circumcised, I'll justify you. If you're uncircumcised, I won't. No, it's not about religious ritual. And it's not about ethnicity. He's looking for one thing. And when he sees that one thing, he justifies. And what is that one thing he's looking for? Faith. In Jesus Christ. Faith. Knowing the story of Jesus. Faith. Saying the story of Jesus is true. And faith. Crediting Christ. Relying on. Calling on. Trusting in. The living Jesus. Of that story. Because if you will confess with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Faith is calling on him. Lord Jesus, rescue me. Save me. Deliver me. Faith is trusting in him. Lord Jesus, I know you're alive and you are my only hope of being right with God and going to heaven. Your life. Your death. My only hope, I'm a hell-deserving sinner. Save me, Jesus, or I'm done. I'm through. I rely on you. I call on you. I trust in you and you alone. And what you did and nothing else to save me from my sin and to get me right with God. Faith alone is the means. The occasion, the criterion God's looked for. Not the ground, but the criterion. He doesn't justify unbelievers, but he justifies people the moment they believe. Sinners who believe are justified freely by his grace 
through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus so that we can say, how do we get right with God? How do sinners get right with God? Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, that's it. Now, that's what I wanted to say this morning. I hope I never get tired of saying it. I really hope you never get tired of hearing it. So why did you decide to preach this? I thought you were talking about Proverbs. I was talking about Proverbs, which is exactly why I, I, had, I, I felt like I got to preach this. Why is that? Because I'm talking to you about all these exhortations in the book of Proverbs. Watch out for this. This could destroy your life. Watch out for this. This could destroy your life. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. The fact that you watch out for materialism and that you watch out for these other things, these other terrible dangers that ruin lives, it's not how you get right with God. You don't get right with God by staying away from materialism. You don't get right with God by staying away from substance abuse. That's not it. And the reason I wanted to go to this text, maybe you could see some reason why this particular text, well, not only because it's the, the, the clearest presentation of this truth in the whole Bible, but it's also because of what he says about Abraham and David. We're talking about Proverbs. Here's David, 3,000 years ago. And what does David say? Even as David also pronounces blessing on the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord doesn't impute or reckon sin. What was that? You mean that this truth of sinners saved by grace, Christ, faith, right with God that way? You mean that was true in the days of David? Even before that, the days of Abraham, what did he find? Was he justified by works? No. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him unto righteousness. Justification by Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone has always been true. It was true before Proverbs was written. It was true when Proverbs was written. It's true after Proverbs was written. Proverbs is not teaching us another way to get right with God. Don't take it that way. The foundation of all true religion ever since the fall of man has always been Christ. There never has been any other way for sinners to get right with God except Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone. And God surely has revealed more about that as the centuries have gone on and the millennia. But the way of salvation has always been the same. The way of vindication and justification always the same in the days of David, in the days of Abraham the days of Abel. Always the same. Christ, grace, faith. It was true then. It's true now. So when we consider the book of Proverbs, don't get it out of context. Don't misunderstand it. Don't ever wrench it loose from its moorings in justification by faith.
my, my dear beloved brothers and sisters, I entreat you, in the meekness and gentleness of Christ, never, ever, ever lose sight of this. Don't ever lose sight of it. No matter how many exhortations or duties you ever hear or encounter, don't ever lose sight of this reality. You're not justified by works. You're not justified by wisdom. You're justified. You're vindicated on the ground Christ alone because of faith alone, because of grace alone, by means of faith alone. May God be pleased to bless that truth to every one of his people. And if you're not right with God, my dear friend, this is the only way anybody ever gets right with God. Call upon the name of the Lord. Because those that come to me, he says, I'll never ever cast out.